When planning the road to success, there are a few steps to keep in mind. Identifying and solving the cause, facing and embracing change, goal setting, and being accountable. We'll talk about this today on Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. New and healthier habits lead to prosperity in all areas of your life and business. Now, here's your host, Chris Salem. Welcome to the Sustainable Success Radio Show. Hope everyone had a wonderful new year. Here it is, 2018. It's hard to believe, but we're here, and it's exciting times that are happening, and I hope that everyone put together, before the new year, your goals for 2018, and this is going to be really an important year for a transition for many, so again, make sure that the goals that you put in place are going to be able to allow you to focus on them daily so that you can achieve these smaller goals that will roll up to your larger goal that you desire in 2018. Again, as a mindset expert and coach, when I work with people, we want to make sure that people are focused on the process to success, not the outcome itself, and that they're achieving smaller attainable goals with the right disciplines and habits in place that will get them to where they want to be. It's so important. So that being said, again, you can find us on Facebook at Sustainable Success 2017. We encourage you to go there to look up uh, past episodes that we've had. And today we have a great show today. And we're going to be uh, talking with Dr. Arthur Sear McCauley. And he is the author of The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to reduce anxiety and develop resilience. And so the topic today, again, is the stress solution for sustainable success. So before I introduce uh, Dr. Sarah McCauley, I'd like to give a little background about him. He is a has a uh, PhD, is a licensed clinical psychologist who has been treating clients for more than 35 years. He's a member of the American uh, Physiological Association and the Massachusetts Psychological Association. And he's a contributor to the Creative Living Foundation and was the former chief medical officer of Sound Minds Organization. He has been treating uh, patients for many years and has lectured at Harvard Health Services, Boston College Counseling Center, and the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore. He's appeared many times on CNN, Fox News, Comcast, New England Cable News, Good Morning America, the O'Reilly Report, and many more. He has authored many books, but but the book we'll be focusing on today, again, is The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. And it was recently published in China. So that being said, I'd like to formally introduce Dr. Sierra McCauley. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. How are you doing? Doing great. I hope uh, your holiday season went well. Everything went well, lots of family, lots of closeness, uh, lots of joy, and I'm uh, happy to start a new year. Great. Well, I'm really excited today to be talking to you about your book, The Stress Solution, and this is something really important because a lot of times people have stress, and and it's on many different levels. Sometimes it can be so subtle that they don't even realize that they have it and what the impact it has on their, not only their personal life, but also their business. So I'm really curious yes. today to learn more about, uh, you know, w- you know, what are some ways we can manage stress and how to really look at it that can improve the quality of our lives and business. 
for sustainability. So I wanted to ask you first, you know, you had a thing in, in your book, and I wanted to, for the listeners to understand it better. You know, what is uh, empathetic CBT? I guess that's an acronym. Well, the, the, the new combination, Chris, of cognitive behavioral therapy, the power of empathy, and how to change brain chemistry naturally is an integrated therapeutic method I, I've developed, as you said, over the last 35 years. CBT corrects distorted thinking. That's its main focus. For instance, if you learned early in life to generalize or use black and white thinking or catastrophize, mind reading, magnifying, all ways of distorting what you see. And stress is primarily produced by perception. So if we exaggerate what we see in another person, we're producing stress unnecessarily. For instance, you may think a shy person is aloof, but then you find out that they're just inhibited. Or you think a passionate person, a person who talks in a louder and passionate voice is angry, but they're passionate because you have sensitivity to anger. Empathy calms the emotional brain so we can use this capacity to perceive others and ourselves accurately and thoughtfully. So how we perceive is, is directly related to how much stress we accumulate. And in addition, this approach teaches people how to change brain chemistry for the better. For instance, when we communicate with stress, we produce the stress hormone cortisol, which has many, many negative effects. When we communicate with empathy and compassion, we produce another hormone called oxytocin, which helps us live longer. It protects us from illness and injury. It helps people stay away from addictive substances. It promotes a sense of calm and well-being, generosity and empathy, and it creates a level of trust with other people so that in the business world, you, you are really creating an element of trust and collegiality with your customer, with your client base. So it's very important in terms of the way you communicate because our nervous systems talk to each other. So if I'm very stressed when I'm talking to you, I'm producing a stress reaction in you and you're less likely to focus on what I'm saying. If my energy is calm, what I call calm energy, and I'm producing that hormone oxytocin, which is very much called a connecting hormone, it reduces your stress level and it allows people to hear you more accurately and you to hear them more accurately. That is so important. I would say now, if, if when, when it comes down to relationships, personal relationships, business relationships, you know, getting business done, why people should, that are listening should really take this to heart because this is so important because how we speak to people and how we listen comes down to exactly what you're saying here because if they're coming from empathy, you know, they're more likely or where your voice is more calm, they're more likely to listen rather than the opposite way that you just said. Yes, and, and you see this in the sales world all the time. I try to teach my, my salespeople, you know, I've consulted to corporations for many years to calm down, be focused, and be centered. But when you're, when you're communicating with stress, you're producing that stress hormone cortisol. What does cortisol cause? It causes repetitive negative thinking. It causes black and white thinking. It takes our wide camera lens of perception into a very narrow place. It causes hair loss, it breaks down muscle tissue, it causes weight gain, flabbiness, depression, and most importantly, it causes memory loss. You know, the hormone cortisol that we produce when we're stressed actually kills neurons in the memory center of the brain. And most importantly, in terms of weight gain, it throws off blood sugar levels and it increases fat cells and the fat cells desire for sugary sweet substances. So the more stressed we are, we tend to eat more poorly, our mood lowers, and we tend to live according to our mood, so we're more likely not to exercise and take care of ourselves. 
That is so true. And, and you know, and I'm a big advocate of the eight pillars of wellness, and I often use it in my practice. And, you know, a lot of times the, the balance between those eight pillars can be off. And stress plays an important, obviously, in a negative way, an important role in that happening. So it's so important to really be aware of what stress can do to you in more ways than one. So powerful. So, you know, in terms of now we're, we're on the, the topic of stress, why has stress rates risen so dramatically over the years? Well, you know, studies right now indicate that Americans have fewer friends. Tr- trust has decreased as well as degree of empathy shown to others. Prejudice has increased. Ra- race relations have deteriorated. Half of Americans lie awake at night due to job stress. And three quarters indicate they suffer from emotional or physical stress daily. 70% of Americans say they hate their job. 70% say they suffer from work- workplace bullying. And a study last week that was just released by the American Psychological Association indicated that among thousands of people, 59% of Americans say that this is the lowest point in our nation's history in their lifetime. So the amount of stress and anxiety is increasing daily. And, you know, we've, we've become a society we play, where we place a great emphasis on achievement, status, and appearance. And we have placed far less emphasis on character and relationships. Ah, and essentially, so essentially, you know, we've become rich materially, but poor spiritually. And many, many people have learned how to achieve, but they don't know how to love and make lasting deep friendships. And this lack of love and relational connection is the missing ingredient, I think, that plagues many people's lives. No, that's so important. And that's the whole premise of uh, what sustainable success is, you know, what this show is about that, you know, success is more than than what you achieve and how much money you have in the bank and and how successful you have been in your business. It's really, again, building those sustainable relationships and and the people that you touch long term, you know, creating that legacy of good. And again, it comes down to integrity, having compassion, being empathetic and having coming from integrity and those are so so some of the attributes that we stress here on this show and why why it's so important to be looking at if somebody's looking to live a life and experience true prosperity so it's well put that you did that there what would be some other like in terms of the stress rates i mean do you feel like technology with all the information that we have out there uh social media you know uh, email all texting, all these things are really, in my opinion, can place a lot of stress on you. I mean, I know that personally. I have to keep my eye on it and keep that in check. Yes, and uh, you know, I think unquestionably, the the advance in technology has helped us and it's hurt us because some people don't know how to turn it off. Basically, v- very busy people, people who are distractedly busy because they're afraid of settling down and actually facing what they feel and and what they think in life, so they have to always be on the move. They can't stay away from the phone. I just loved Pope Francis's comment last week when he said, uh, put your phone down and open your heart. And I think what he was trying to convey there is that we've lost touch with relationships. So many people think that they have all these multiple relationships online and they don't even, they're not even seeing an, a live human being. And we've, we've really, through that mechanism, we don't learn how to relate. We don't learn how to really connect with other people. We don't learn how to listen. And listening is critically important to connecting and critically important to professional and personal success. No, that is so true. I mean, I, I even have a personal story there where I had a person on social media reach out to me 
asking me for a personal favor. I mean, I'm not going to disclose what that is, but it was almost like he was insulted when I kind of said I was not in position because, and he came back and said, well, I thought we were really good friends. And I said, well, we are friends here on social media, but I've never met you in person. I yeah. don't know yeah. you. I don't know your story. And yet to this, this was a person that was much younger than me. So maybe in their perception, that's how it is. Cause that's how they've yeah. been yeah. raised. And somebody like me, who's 50 years old, I can remember where, you know, I develop relationships being, being around people, not behind a phone. So that is so well put. Yeah. So important. So now I wanted to, you know, to let the, let, let the listeners know about, you know, when you talk about empathy in the book, define really what empathy is. Well, empathy is a capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. It's essentially everyday mind reading. It's an assessment tool. It's a part of our genetic endowment. It's not an emotion or a feeling, but a capacity that's innately present. We're born with this capacity, but if it's not developed, it'll atrophy like an unused muscle. You know, I, I, I know from, re, from leading group sessions for more than 25 years, I have communication and leadership groups, that, that human beings can be taught how to expand their empathic range in ways that will reap profound benefits, in, in not only in their personal lives, but in their professional lives. I mean, Stephen Covey was asked many years ago, can you, can you tell us in one word what makes a successful business person a corporate leader? He said, yeah, I can give you one word, the word empathy. And he surprised the journalists because they thought empathy, that's just a soft skill. But he said empathy allows you to know what your customers want and they feel listened to. They feel like you're really trying to understand their needs. And, you know, Stanford and Harvard, the two MBA schools, the business schools, they did a long-term study to figure out why their MBAs were failing in the corporate world. And, the, and it came down to two things. They didn't make people feel heard, and they didn't make people feel understood. So what is that? That's empathy. So empathy is not sympathy. It gets very confused with sympathy. You know, sympathy as opposed to empathy occurs when we identify with another person's experience, as if we don't, if we, we, we feel that they're experiencing exactly what we did. We did. I have a client, um, for instance, who um, just moved here from California, say, six months or so ago, and she was devastated by her dad's death last year. And then she heard one of her neighbor's father passed away. So she made her a basket of fruit and food, and she went down and she rang her, the, door, the woman's doorbell, and the woman answered, and she said, uh, oh, my God, you must be devastated. I know you don't know me very well, but my dad died last year, too, and I'm so devastated, and I just wanted to bring you something. And the woman looked at her, and she said, you know, I'm sorry that you were devastated when your dad passed. She said, but my dad left us when I was two years old. I wouldn't even know what he looks like. So, unfortunately, I, I'm not devastated, but I appreciate your generosity. Exactly. You see, sympathy rushes in and assumes that we know what someone else is experiencing because we're identifying our own experience and assuming it's the same. Empathy is objective. The key phrase with empathy is it slows down an interaction so that we really understand the facts. See, this woman didn't know what that person's relationship was with her father. She assumed based on her experience. That's the difference between sympathy ah, and So important. It's almost like, like you're saying, and we have like about a minute to break, and we can definitely pick up here after the commercial break. But, you know, it sounds, again, now empathy means that we're, we're listening. We're listening first to get the information and putting that person first. 
before we come back with something that we can come back with something empathetic to, to comment on it versus sympathy where we're not listening and we're projecting something off of our own experience. So we're re- really not exactly. relating to the other person. We're just relating based upon what we perceive. And that's so important. Yeah. yeah. That's so important. I, I guess uh, it, we're going to be uh, coming right back again. You're, we're, you're listening to Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley. Again, he had PhD uh, in psychology. And we're talking about, uh, you know, some concepts from his book called The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. Uh, we're going to be going to break. We'll be right back in about two minutes. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects, surrounding yourself with family and loved ones, nurturing your spirituality, maintaining healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness, and being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about unblocking mindset barriers for sales professionals, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and all types of people to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of the problem or challenge. The issue is that many people and businesses manage the effect but do not address the root cause. You now have an opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consulting calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. Do you believe that being fit is difficult? Do you think it requires turning in your favorite comfort foods for boring chicken and broccoli and spending hours in a gym? It doesn't. Tune into Have It All with Devin Alexander. Devin and her guest experts will show you how you can have it all at any age, from relationships to money to thinking bigger than you've ever imagined. Devin will fast-track your goals to yummy reality. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now, back to Sustainable Success. Welcome back to the Sustainable Success Radio Show. If Again, if you're just joining us, uh, we're here with Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley, Ph.D., and uh, the author of the book called The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. We were just talking about the differences between empathy and sympathy and what really, you know, why stress levels have risen over the years and why coming from empathy is far more important in combating stress than sympathy. So, uh, Dr. Sierra McCauley, I wanted to ask, you know, how does being being empathy lessen our stress levels? Well, Chris, empathy, when we give and receive empathy, meaning we're truly listening to each other, 
we release the hormone oxytocin. It's also called the love hormone or the connecting hormone. While cortisol, the stress hormone, makes us fearful, oxytocin makes us feel comfortable, secure, and in a position to give and receive empathy. Oxytocin reduces anxiety and, the, and contrary to the release of cortisol, which actually causes people to not understand each other or feel tense and uncomfortable with each other. So it's pretty amazing that cortisol can produce a sense of fear and bias and an uneasiness, but empathy, when you're listening from an empathic point of view, and, and it's returned in a reciprocal fashion, it's causing a brain change. I call it the soul's pharmacy. It's really, mm. it's really changing our brains for the better. And it, and it makes you feel connected and it makes you feel trust in the other person. So when you, I mean, how can you have a personal relationship, friendship or a love relationship when you don't have that depth of trust? Also, we know that oxytocin even reduces heart disease. I mean, they're even using it now. People are experimenting. Scientists are experimenting with oxytocin with addictions. They're using an oxytocin spray. And what are they finding? They're finding that people uh, addicted to narcotics, alcoholics, have actually had less craving when they have oxytocin in the system. Now, I'm not encouraging people to go out and, and, pers- and buy this substance. I'm saying we can produce it naturally. That's the soul's pharmacy. Yeah. You made it we important. We can do it ourselves. Yeah, I think you made an important point. As I, I think, as a as a society, I mean, I'm talking not just here in the U.S., but it could be anywhere that we've we rely upon outside external resources to to help this. But really, what that does is, is it manages the problem, but it doesn't solve the problem. And and what you're saying here is that when we incorporate empathy, we have the ability to be our own solution. To yeah. be our own solution, and that is so important that that obviously has tremendous. Uh, positive impact on our overall well-being and allows us also to connect better with other people to establish better relationships that could lead to better marriages, better, uh, uh, you know, uh, business in terms of how you do business. And, And I think that's so powerful. So that being said, I mean, how would people that are listening here that might be struggling, let's say with some old negative stories or, or that inner critic, I like to call it. Mm-hmm. And how can we rid ourselves from that to create uh, our real, our coming you know, create our real selves? Well, Chris, you know, early in life, we create a novel, a fictitious story about ourselves that we write based on what we think is being reflected back to us from those around us as if we're looking at ourselves in a mirror. When you're a young child, you, you're looking in the, in the mirror, the eyes of the authorities in your life, mother, father, older siblings, coaches, teachers. So when you look in that mirror, if you're looking in a mirror that has its own biases, the mirror, the, the, if the mirror you're looking at is cracked or inaccurate, you get a distorted view of yourself as if you're looking in a circus mirror. And, and as a result, you create an inaccurate story about yourself, and that story sets the stage for an irrational belief system about yourself and other people. And we can't change that story alone. We're all too subjective. We need a group of people in our lives that will give us honest feedback so that we can obtain an accurate view of who we are today, a more objective account than the one we came to believe earlier in life. So I always try to teach people that we need to take that novel and make it a nonfiction story. 
because much of what people have come to believe about themselves early in life is mythical. It's not true. I have met so many people, and I'm sure you have too, who think they're unattractive, not athletic, not intelligent, can't, can't do math or science, whatever it might be, because they were told or they got that feedback early in life from a cracked mirror, a, a person with bias. So we have to commit as adults, I think it's our responsibility as adults, to commit to being in the company of other people who will give us truthful feedback about who we are. And we yeah. give them the same thing. That, that's where the greatest relationships are. You know, I, I was at a funeral not so long ago of a, a nurse that I knew, and her mom, her, the, the dad had passed away, and they were both in their mid-80s. And uh, they were married, I think, 56 years. And the mother looked at me at the end of the, at the end, we went to a little uh, luncheon after. And I, I was kind of sitting alone. I didn't know anybody. And she came over to me, and she said, I bet you want to talk to me. And I said, what makes you think I want to talk to you? She goes, I bet you want to know how we lasted 56 years in marriage. And I said, I'd love to know. She said, okay, wait till all these people leave and we'll have a cup of coffee together. And we did. And, and I said, so tell me. She said, here's, here's the thing. We had a great marriage because we made each other better. She said, we always forced each other to take action. When my husband came home and he complained about his boss, I would listen to it for two nights, and that was it. And then I'd say, what's the action plan? What are you going to do? Are you going to address your boss? Are you going to talk to him? Or are you going to keep complaining to me every night? And if I was on the phone with my sister, and I got off the phone and said, I can't believe she said that to me. I can't believe she says things like that. He'd say, well, call her back and express yourself directly. And then I'd get mad at him, but he'd push me to do it. She said, we pushed each other to be better. We pushed each other to be direct with each other and to be tactfully direct with all the people we were close to in our lives. And she said, that's why we lasted. And she said, we had many arguments about it because sometimes we didn't like hearing what the other was saying. But ultimately, ultimately, we always knew that the other was telling us something that we needed to address that we were avoiding. And she said, instead of just pleasing each other and pretending with each other, we gave each other the honest truth in a reasonable way. And I said, oh, my God, you should write a book. That is so I mean, that that right there, that story in itself defines empathy, because like you said, I mean, she was providing feedback, not necessarily at the time he wanted to hear, but he had to hear that in order to take the action and advice that his wife gave him that he had the ability to solve his problem. Otherwise, he would just sit there and sulk and complain and complain and obviously just succumb, you know, in managing the problem. And that's yeah. obviously what we talked about earlier, the difference between empathy uh, versus sympathy. So powerful. And that is so true. And I agree because, again, it ties back to she wasn't enabling him to complain. That's she was right. actually saying, okay, I right. listened to for two days now. I'm putting my foot down in a good way. And I'm going to empower you to take action. And yes, yes, obviously, yes. empowerment and empathy go together to hand in yes. hand. Oh, wow. Perfect stuff. So um, now in terms of like, do we need to talk about the past to reduce our stress and anxiety levels? Is this something that's necessary to go into the past? Or do you feel that, you know, we can wherever we are now, we can just go forward and define the solution? Well, one of the reasons that I added empathy, Chris, to cognitive behavioral therapy is cognitive behavioral therapists do not talk about the past. And I don't, and I, I'm not one who belabors the past, but, the, but I think it's necessary to focus on the past if it's interfering with the present. Otherwise, it, it is, it's, not, it, it's not necessary to explore. But once we understand the origin of our old conditioning, 
and how our past creates distorted stress of ourselves and others, we can begin the process of perceiving others and ourselves more accurately. So I, I don't belabor the past, but if I can see that it's interfering with your present, then I think we ought to address it. Then I think you ought to address it. You know, one of my clients said last night in one of my, uh, my leadership groups, he said, I, I, I couldn't believe that one of my coworkers said this to me. And I said, what? He said, well, I, I was standing in, in one of the offices, and she said, get out, are you going to move or what? Get out of my way. Let's go. We've got to get this thing to market. And she was on me and on me, and I, and I went home, and I just I couldn't sleep. And, I, and one, of the, one of the other members said, well, what do you care what she said? She's just a peer, just a colleague. He says, I don't know. I don't know why it got to me so much. And I said, look, if, how long have you been thinking about this? And he said, a couple of days. I can't get it out of my mind. And I said, when we tend to obsess about a comment that someone said, when it rents that kind of space in your head, it usually points to some history that has not oh, been yeah. worked out. And then he started to tear a little bit. He goes, I don't even know why I'm getting emotional. And I said, well, what, what does it remind you of? What, what time was it familiar in your life where someone was demeaning to you and accusing you of something that you didn't do? And he said, you know, my entire adolescence, my dad left when I was two. And in my adolescence, my mother went through a major depression. And she used to always say to me, you're acting just like your father, just like your father. And he said, most of the time, I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. I wasn't doing anything. And he said, I just felt helpless because I didn't want to get angry with my mother. Here she was, a single parent raising three kids. But she just had that way of, you know, I look like my dad, and I just was always in that bad position with her. She was always assuming that I was doing something similar to what he would do to her, and I wasn't. And when this woman sort of got impatient with me and kind of accusing me of, of not being part of the team, and I'm the one that wrote most of this, I'm the one that wrote most of the proposal. I said, I've yeah. done 70% of the work, and she's done 30%, and she's criticizing me. He said, but... I couldn't understand why I couldn't let it go, but she's because she's just a peer. She's not above me, below me. I don't report to her. And and then he realized as we talked, and that's what happens when we talk openly. When we talk openly, and somebody can give us realistic feedback and listen in a profound way, he realized it wasn't so much that comment, that slight that her coworker made. It was that it reminded him of his mother, and then he could Absolutely. put it in perspective and let it go. So yeah, you, that, those that, times that we have to pay attention to the past. That is so powerful because right – I mean this this falls in line. I, I wrote a book called Master Your Inner Critic, Resolve the Root Cause, Create Prosperity. And what you just said there is so profound because – it's it's the root cause because when somebody when when something lingers in someone's mind, it's tied to a negative emotion. It could be anger, it could be shame, guilt, jealousy, envy, any of the, any combination thereof. But like you said, it's not that incident that that's it that's renting space in their head that's the the root cause. It ties back to something in the past, perhaps yeah. to a parent. It could be the father, it could be the mother, and without resolving that or coming to terms to forgive them from every every cell in your being uh you know it a lot of times that when certain things happen it can repeat itself and that's why what you mentioned why the past sometimes can play an important role to determine where the root cause is yes yes and again we don't want to belabor the past but it affects all of us and and we only need to pay attention to it 
when it's interfering with our present. You know, I, I was giving a talk at a university not long ago, and it was a school of education that they were, I was presenting this talk in. So I, I got there about 20 minutes early, Chris, and, and one of the deans said to me, oh, you know, you know, why don't you just sit in that classroom? I'll get you a cup of coffee. You want a coffee? I said, sure. So I, but the classroom was one of these student teaching classrooms with these little desks, you know, that little kids sit in. And I sat in one of the desks, and I started to feel uncomfortable. And I was trying to figure out, why am I uncomfortable? Well, you know, I was a kid who skipped school a lot. I was not a great student. I sort of realized my potential much later in life, as a lot of people do, as you know. And I, I started to think about how it was to be in grade school. Because if I didn't, if, you know, I didn't do homework. I wasn't a kid who was studious. I was sort of on my own in that regard. And when I didn't do my homework or something, I'd just ask to go to the bathroom, and I'd just leave school. Um, and so it was reminding me of those times, and I thought it was almost silly. I started to laugh to myself, and I got up, and I was walking in the hall, and the dean said to me, you, you don't have to walk out here. We're not ready yet. I said, no, no. I, I said, don't want to go sit in that classroom again. And I started the whole talk that way because the whole talk was about how the past interferes with the present. And I said, here I had an example that I wasn't certainly planning on, but I sat in that educational classroom, and it was reminding me about being a young kid, and I got a little anxious. So every time we have this opportunity to go back, turn around, and work through it a little bit, I'm sure I, you know, I could sit in a classroom today now and not feel the same way because I already went through it once and I didn't, rather than running away from it, you kind of pay attention to your emotions so that you can learn what's unresolved that's interfering with your potential today. No, it's so true. I mean, like I said, a lot of times, you know, I see people, you know, doing the same things over and over again and in getting this, having the same results in terms of the experience. They have setbacks or they experience anger, they experience shame and guilt. And it's a lot of times, like you said, it goes back to that something in the past, something that's unresolved. And it's because maybe it's buried in their subconscious mindset, not at the conscious level. And so they're not aware of it. But if yeah. they are aware of it, they have the ability now to say consciously, well, okay, this might be something tied back to what my mom used to you know, say to me or my father, and, it, and, it, and I didn't particularly like it at the time. But now that you're aware of it, you, have a, you, know, you can make a choice whether how to react differently, you know, to yeah. change the way you think in order to change your situation around if you keep re-experiencing those uh, uh, same results. So that, that's so powerful there. And, and I think it also has an impact on your future. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say, like, you, know, you talked about anxiety. We have a couple minutes to break. Maybe we can finish up on that point that, that a lot of times people end up projecting certain things uh, into the future that haven't happened as a result of the past. And that's yeah. why it creates that anxiety, which obviously raises stress. Yes, yes. I mean, I have a client that I added to one of my group sessions, and he is a recovering alcoholic. He's six foot seven. He was a former professional athlete. He came in the group. One of the women was married to an active alcoholic who was physically abusive. As soon as the guy came in, I could tell just by the way she was looking at him, she felt uncomfortable. And after about three or four minutes, she said to me, you mentioned you're in recovery. And he said, yes. And she said, are you violent? I, I bet, you know, you, you've been, have you ever hit your wife or hit your kids? And he looked at me and he said, why is she asking me these questions? 
And the, the story is that I have known this man for four years before he ever joined this group. He's never been violent with his family. I've worked with his family. He's not that kind of person. Yeah. But she immediately projected her ex-husband onto him. They're both in, were recovering. Well, her husband yep. wasn't in recovery. He was an active alcoholic. But here's a guy who actually is a CEO. Yep. He's a recovering alcoholic. He, he goes to AA. He has a sponsor. He sees me. Yep. He, his family is behind him in every, every way. And he's not at all like her ex, but her ex was a big guy. He was 6'5". This guy's 6'7". So you know, they have that similar. big, tall, bulky look together, and yep. immediately she thinks he's going to be physical. And he's the last person in the world. I don't think he's ever been physical with anyone in his life other than in a sporting arena. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's so true. She projected it. Uh, we're going to have to go to break, but when we re- come right back, you're going to hear more from Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley. Please come back. we got some more information to share with you, and this is such a powerful topic, and we encourage you to listen to it on demand once available later today. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. What is balance? It's being true to your purpose and not being distracted by shiny objects, surrounding yourself with family and loved ones, nurturing your spirituality, maintaining healthy balance of emotional and physical wellness, and being present in the moment. Chris Salem creates awareness about unblocking mindset barriers for sales professionals, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and all types of people to have sustainable success at the next level. The solution evolves out of the problem or challenge. The issue is that many people and businesses manage the effect but do not address the root cause. You now have an opportunity to live your life and operate your business in the solution rather than the effect of your challenges. Schedule a time to chat about your goals and the person you desire to be by going to ChristopherSalem.com. We have group consulting calls, one-on-one, and other programs to assist you. It will be the best thing you do for yourself to see how sustainable success is possible for you in your life and business. Join us at the next level. Visit ChristopherSalem.com. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. You are listening to Sustainable Success with Chris Salem. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or send an email to Chris at ChristopherSalem.com. Now, back to Sustainable Success. 
Welcome back to Sustainable Success. Again, we're here with Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley. We're talking about uh, concepts from his book, The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience. We've been talking a lot about you know, the difference between empathy and sympathy and the impact uh, positively that empathy has on uh, stress levels. So I uh, wanted to ask you, uh, Dr. Sierra McCauley, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, prejudice being a cause yes. of stress. You know, how, do, how so? How does that happen? Well, you know, Chris, when, when we encounter someone who we have an inherent prejudice against, and often this could be conscious or unconscious, we begin to experience a degree of stress. And when we're as stressed as, as we've been talking, we release the stress hormone cortisol which limits our capacity for empathy while also causing repetitive negative thinking. So people often don't realize that when they have a prejudice against someone that they're not even aware of, you're producing cortisol. What does cortisol produce? It produces black and white thinking and a very narrow view of the other person and a sense of uncomfort, discomfort, so that you don't really trust the other person without even knowing. You know, a lot of times people will say, I just don't feel comfortable with her. I don't feel comfortable with him, but I don't even know why. Well, once you have that experience, you're producing cortisol, which limits the way you think. It doesn't allow you to concentrate and be open-minded. It, it interferes with creativity. So now you're in a very poor position to negotiate, to interact, or to listen and take in information. So prejudice has a very negative effect on our brains and our immune system, on our physiology. I think people generally don't understand that. The other thing, I mean, I was so happy that my authors, my, 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 author, my publisher allowed me to write a chapter on prejudice because, you know, I have 12 or 15 comments in the book about what college-educated people say to me in the confines of my office. You know, people tend to trust me, and it's confidential. So, I mean, I have a CFO who said to me, for instance, you know, the dog was barking outside my office, and this was in the summer, and the window was open, and he said, oh, and we were talking about, he had met some of the New England Patriots, and he was talking about some of the players, and he mentioned, um, you know, dogs don't like black people. And I said, what? He said, no, dogs don't like black people. And I said, um, why, don't, why is it that you think dogs don't like black people? He said, well, well, I grew up, there was a black family on the corner, and all the other families were white, and they had two dogs. No, he said, we had two dogs, I'm sorry. And he said, you know, my mother used to say, don't go, don't go take the dogs down by the black, the black family. The dogs don't like the black people. And, and he said, and my mother said it was something about the smell or something. And I said, really? And I said, geez, my uncle is African-American, and we call him the dog whisperer. He said, really? I said, yeah, and he trained my two dogs, our two dogs, and he has two dogs. And I said, I, I don't really understand the reality of that. I said, did you ever take your dogs near the black family? He said, no. And I said, so you're 56 years old. All these years you believe that dogs just don't take the black folks? He said, now you're making me feel silly. I said, I'm not really trying to make you feel silly, but what I'm trying to point out is we all grow up with these prejudices. Here you are, an MBA, a CFO, an educated man, and, 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 not, a, and not a person who's particularly prejudicial, but he grew up with this false belief about African Americans. And thank God we were talking about it so that he could understand that this was just a myth. For whatever reasons, his mother told him that, and as a little kid, it got recorded in his head and never, un and never unworked worked out so that he could understand the reality of what he was thinking. 
It's so true. I mean, these things that we pick up in young and and then you, you would figure I mean, here he is educated that, you know, as an adult that he could possibly be able to then look at it in a, in a different way and come to his own uh, come to his own view about it. But it, it's it didn't happen. He still carried that with him. And, it, and you're so right. He just never really realized that he just assumed that what was told that was what is and not actually seen it firsthand and and in doing it. So that, that's, that makes sense. By the way, did, did, did they bring the dogs by that family and, and proved it otherwise? I'm sure they, that he realized that was a, a false uh, statement. <laughs> he, he did realize it was a false statement. And to his credit, I mean, he, he realized that he had never had the experience. It, you see, again, empathy is based in fact. I was trying to get him to use his empathy. Empathy is, empathy is objective-oriented. Yeah. So what are the facts? The facts are you've never been in the presence of a black person with dogs. I have. And what you're saying is not accurate. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know I, had a, I had a priest who I treated several years ago, and he was from one of the Catholic colleges. And he was saying to me, I finally understand what you've been talking about, this hardwiring early in life that you have to unravel and correct. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, I teach the course Religions of Man. It's all five religions. And I teach my, my students that, you know, when the, when the Pope said, the Catholic Pope said, don't eat meat on Fridays, I said, it, that didn't come from God. It came from the fact that the pork in Rome at the time was, it, people were getting sick. It was bad. And and the and what they said at the time was you know God said essentially the Pope said you shouldn't eat meat. And he said now in the Catholic Church of course you can eat meat, and we all know that that was a man-made rule. He said, but you know what? You know what the most fascinating thing is? I said what? He goes, I never eat meat on Friday. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> he said, I just can't. I know it's I know it's irrational, and I know it was a man-made rule, and I know it didn't come from God or Jesus. But I can't eat meat on Friday. That and so he understood how deep that conditioning goes early in life. Oh, it does, and it, it starts in childhood, and it's powerful. Now it's so true. They can understand it logically, but yet it's still ingrained in them. I mean, it's something you know to undo. It's it it takes a lot of work. If if it if they if it if I'm undoing it is going to work in their favor to, to improve whatever area of their life uh, they're pursuing. Absolutely. But yeah, not an easy thing to do. So I wanted to get to what is missing in our society that so many successful people lead unsatisfied lives. Well, you know, I, I think, and I, I've created the term, uh, coined the term performance addiction, which is the belief that perfecting appearance and achieving status will secure love and respect. And I think it's, it's, it's rampant in our society. That's why I have a questionnaire at the end of the book on performance addiction. I have a chapter on it as well. And, you know, performance addiction begins in the home. It's, it's an irrational belief system that when, you're, when you don't get the empathy and compassion that you deserve as a young child, but suddenly you realize if you score the winning touchdown in a game, your parents are clapping. Or if you get the lead role in a play, you, you get some applause. And you start to realize that what's been missing all your life you can fill it up with achievement, and you can fill it up by the way you look. And but what what happens is that no matter how well or good you perform or how well or good you look, it's fleeting. You know, achievement is fleeting. Integrity and character is lasting. So performance addicts 
you know, they turn to activity like an alcoholic turns to a drink or a gambler turns to the gambling table. And when good performance doesn't buy them happiness, they think they must perform even better. And then when that fails to deliver, they decide they've got to try harder, go faster, be more dedicated, and make more efforts to achieve to get some kind of uh, resonance and, 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 and validation from others. And this is really the nature of addiction. And I think many, many people in our society suffer from this. That we, oh, yeah. And I think many parents teach their kids, not, not intentionally, but they teach their kids that achievement and appearance and status is more important than character and integrity. And that's oh. part of what I think is affecting our, our world right now. Because so many people are disenchanted with the political climate, the calling names, the insulting of others, and these are our leaders. Um, and I, I actually working, I, I wrote a blog not long ago that if people are interested is on my website called The Soulful Leader, which really addresses how to lead with integrity and character and be successful because they're not mutually exclusive. Now, that is so true. And and in what you, what you define there, I mean, that leads me into the next question here. Uh, you know, when you talk about leading from integrity, I mean, that's 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 being authentic, right? And just getting back to what you said, I mean, I think with the character and, and integrity, these are things that are not being taught to children, you know, but, you know, empowering them at being the example of this in their own homes. Maybe it's because the parents don't know how to do it themselves. But on some level, we got to be able to create that awareness, even in the schools, you know, that, you know, I mean, not to say that it's the teacher's responsibility, but everybody's got to play a part in helping children create awareness why it's so important to focus on yeah. character and integrity than appearance and achievement. So powerful. And now, so get, getting back to character and integrity, you know, why is being authentic so important in reducing stress? Well, because if, if you're not authentic, and as, as you t- we talked a little bit in the break earlier, if you have that overly pleasing personality and you're not living up to who you are or what you in, inherently believe, You've lost yourself. You lose your sense of self. And not being authentic, pretending, trying to please others, trying to please at, at, at all costs, you lose your sense of self, and it's inordinately draining and inordinately stressing. The other thing is authenticity attracts. When you're authentic, it's sort of like coming in someone's home and, and sitting down in the family room versus sitting down in the living room. You know, it's, it's a level of comfort. Authentic people don't have problems admitting their mistakes. People that are trying to be perfectionists, they, and they sort of believe in what I call the religion of perfection. If they make a mistake, they think they are a mistake. So that tendency to try to be something that you're not all the time creates inordinate stress, and it does not work. When you're authentic, you create empathy with other people and a trusting relationship because we all want to feel that we can be with people where we can have flaws, where we can have imperfections, we can make mistakes because we all have them and we all make mistakes. So it's, it's more human. You feel more comfortable with those people. You don't feel comfortable with people who are putting on airs, who are pretending there's something they're not. And it doesn't create a bond and a sense of trust with others. Oh, absolutely. That's why being authentic is so powerful because we have to be an example for people. You know, we can't tell them how, when, and why to do something. You know, people learn from what they see. And when you come from character and integrity, like you said, that is being in the example, you know, for people to follow, to do the same as advice to who they are. So, um, that being said, uh, Dr. Sierra McCauley, uh, you know, you speak of image love in your talk um, and in the book as well. What is image love? Well, 
image love is, is that initial love that, that is based on um, status and projecting a lot onto another person. And performance addicts often have image love because they don't really fall in love with the essence of another person. They fall in love with what they, how they think that other person is going to enhance their sense of self. Yeah. So it's like somebody might fall in love with somebody because they're wealthy or because they're a CEO or a CFO and miss all miss altogether the fact that they have poor character. Ironically, we have a number of studies now by University of California, Michigan State, University of Michigan that say as people rise up the financial ladder, they tend to be less ethical, they tend to cheat more, and they have less empathy for people below them. So my point is that image love really is like sort of looking at a picture of the ocean versus being at the ocean. You know, in that early sense, you know, early sex, that binding and blinding a, a consequence of early sex, you get attached to someone and you think you really know them because you're being intimate with them physically, that also brings you down a side street and you don't really know the person. So image love is really looking at someone. It's like looking at the cover of a novel and buying the novel because it has a beautiful picture of the ocean, but you don't know anything about the author or the story and you haven't read any reviews. When people are desperate to enhance their self-esteem, they get attached to somebody who looks good on the outside, but they know very very little about them on the inside. Wow, that's powerful. And uh, so what wanted to, uh, you know, the, this was some great information today. And everybody listening here, uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to the on-demand version. There is some great information that Dr. Sarah McCauley has shared today that you could start using today in your life to make improvements in your business your relationships, both personal and in business, and of course, with your wellness. This has a tremendous impact on changing where your well-being is at this point. So, Dr. Simicoli, I mean, what, what are you working on right now, and where can our audience find you for more information? Well, my, my website, Chris, is balanceyoursuccess.com, and you can read all my blogs there. Um, I also have a page on Facebook, the Empathy and Goodness Project, and I, I write uh, there regularly as well, but all the blogs are there, and the article that I've just written is called "The Soulful Leader: Learning How Empathy, Compassion, and Ethical Values Improve Well-Being and Creative Productivity." My book, "The Stress Solution," is really a workbook, as you know. So there's there's questions that I ask everybody at the end of each chapter to answer and share with someone close to them, so that it becomes an interactive effort, an interactive journey with others to improve yourself and and to lessen the punitiveness of your self-voice. But you can see all, all the material and all the blogs that I've written and my other books on the website as well. Wow, this is great. So everybody, again, you can find Dr. Sarah McCauley. Again, his uh, website is balanceyoursuccess.com, balanceyoursuccess.com. That's one word. And again, you know, encourage you to take advantage of some of the uh, workbook questions that he had talked about, his blog. And uh, again, you could also listen to this show again on demand at the Voice America Influencer Channel at Sustainable Success, also at our Facebook page, Sustainable Success 2017. Again, I want to wish everybody a wonderful 2018. I hope everything that you plan for comes to fruition. Commit to the process. And Dr. Sarah McCauley, I want to thank you personally today for taking time today to join us and sharing us uh, with your wisdom uh, on how we can become more successful at a sustainable level by really looking at how stress impacts us. Well, thank you very much, Chris. I enjoyed talking with you. I hope we can do it again, and Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year to you, and thank you for joining us. And again, folks, have a wonderful rest of your week, and we'll be back next Wednesday. Thank you for tuning in to Sustainable Success. Be sure to join Chris Salem and his guests every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Have an incredible week.